please stand for the reading of God's word. John 4, 1 through 26. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, so tell me why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Good morning. So this summer, we are walking through this series on how to cultivate a rich inner life with God. And we're asking the question, what are some of the practices and postures and habits and disciplines that we can engage in that will help to cultivate this kind of relationship with God? And we're spending two weeks looking at the practice of worship, specifically the the community gathering every Sunday together to worship God. So last week I started with this big picture view of what worship is all about. We looked at a very big passage. We looked at Revelation 4 and 5. If you weren't here, you missed it. It was awesome. One of the great... No, I wasn't awesome. It was awesome. Just to to clarify. (laughs) Uh, One of the great passages on worship where the Apostle John 
gets access into heaven. He sees the heavenly worship going on and God is seated on his throne and there's these living creatures and the 24 elders and all these angels and then the lamb is there on the throne and they're worshiping God. And I talked about worship is essentially joining in that worship service that's always going on. Finding our place around the throne of God and joining in the worship that is taking place. I gave you a definition last week of worship. It's just mine. It's not biblical, but I think it gets at the essence of worship. Worship is declaring and experiencing God's worth, right? Worship says worthy. You are worthy. Declaring experience of God's worth in our minds, in our hearts, and with our lives. And I think that happened last week. I think we all experienced the worthiness of God and, and sang out to him in a beautiful way. So this morning, I want to get more practical and ask the question, okay, so if that's what worship is, what is that, what are the implications for our time here on Sunday? What are some of the principles that we learn that can help shape how we engage in this space, in this case, between nine o'clock and about 1015 every Sunday morning? So I've chosen another passage, another famous passage, uh, John 4. Very different passage from last week. Last week's passage was very big, right? You got the throne, all these creatures, heaven, really big. In some ways, this passage is very small. You have one man, one woman, sitting by a well in the hot Middle Eastern sun, talking about water. Very small, very intimate, but also very significant passage on worship. And there's so much in this passage, of course. There's about 10 sermons to preach from from John 4. But I want to focus in on the conversation they have about worship in verses 19 through 24. Okay, so that's where I'm going to focus our time. Before I go through those verses, uh, just brief context of the passage. I just want to acknowledge Jesus crosses pretty much every barrier imaginable in the first century to engage this woman. Okay, barriers of gender, barriers of race, barriers of culture, barriers of religion, every barrier imaginable he crosses. You would never see in the first century a guy like him talking to a woman like her. It just didn't happen. And yet Jesus crosses those boundaries in this beautiful way. And he gives her this wonderful invitation of this life-giving water that he can give to people. And he also confronts her with her brokenness. Five broken marriages in her sixth relationship. And, and as she encounters this invitation and his knowledge of, of her every, the every detail of her life, she comes to the conclusion, this is no ordinary man. And her conclusion, he must be a prophet. And she's right, he is a prophet. He's a little more than that, but he is a prophet. And so she begins uh, in verse 19 to engage him in a conversation about worship. And she brings up this long-standing debate between Samaritans and Jews about how to worship God. So let me pick it up in verse 19, all right? We'll just focus in on these couple verses, and then I'm going to jump to some practical suggestions for us today. Verse 19, having been confronted, having realized this is no ordinary man, she says, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors, that's the Samaritans, worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. All right, so most of you know this. There's a temple that was built in Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel, and that's where the Jews went to worship. The Samaritans years earlier had built a temple on Mount Gerizim, which is close to where Jesus and this woman were at the moment. That temple had been destroyed by the time this conversation happens, but the Samaritans continued to worship on that mountain. 
And so she's asking, where is the right place to worship? Where's the right place to go and offer sacrifices? You're a holy man. You're a prophet. What do you think? Uh, Jesus, he almost never answers straightforward. And uh, he doesn't answer straightforward here. But he says this, verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming. When you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Verse 23, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He says, there's a new time coming. In fact, it's here right now because I'm here with you as Messiah. The new time he's referring to is the time of the new covenant. Now, let me just remind you what the old time was. The old covenant was the time of the temple, right? Where God told Israel to build a physical location, a temple. And that was where his presence dwelt in Israel. If you want to know where God's presence is, you go to the temple in Jerusalem. And in the temple, you have the Levitical priests who would come and do their work there. And they would offer animal sacrifices at the temple. So forgiveness of sins through animal sacrifices took place at the temple. So if you wanted to worship God, if you wanted to encounter his presence, if you wanted to experience the forgiveness of sins, you went to the physical location of the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying, but there's a new time coming. And it's here right now. He's talking about the new covenant that he as the Messiah brings about. Because as Messiah, he comes and he fulfills all that the temple in Jerusalem represented. Okay? He is now the place where God's presence dwells. He is Emmanuel, God with us. God in the flesh coming to dwell with his people. And he is the priest. And he is the sacrifice. He offers himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, for the sins of all time, once and for all. And then he's raised from the dead, and then he sends his spirit on God's people. God's own presence dwelling in people, transforming them from the inside out. That's ultimately the living water that Jesus is talking about. So if you drink this water, if you take the spirit in, this is a really magical water. You'll actually become a spring of water. This water will will spring up from you and, and bring about eternal life. New covenant that renders this whole temple in Gerizim or temple in Jerusalem conversation totally obsolete. There's a new covenant and with it comes a new kind of worship, a new kind of worshiper. What is that kind of worshiper? Look at verse 23 again. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. No longer Jerusalem or Gerizim, but now worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. Let me put this up. Familiar words to most of us. The true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. I want to talk about those two words, spirit and truth, for a second. Uh, Look at your Bibles. How many of you, that word spirit, for how many of you is that a lowercase s? Lowercase s spirit. One of you, two of you, three. Okay. How many of you, is that a capital S? Interesting. Okay. How many of you are not looking at a Bible currently? Okay. I just did the numbers. I'm not great at math, but I did the numbers. It didn't add up to like 300. So, um, all right. More to say on that later. Uh, okay, so hard to know if he's saying lowercase spirit or uppercase the Holy Spirit. 
Both are true. If what he means is lowercase spirit, what Jesus is saying, the true worshipers will worship within their spirit. That is say, in the core of their being, in their heart, in their inner person. That's the place, deep inside me. That's the place where, where worship will happen. If he means uppercase spirit, that's also true. It's because God's Holy Spirit is going to come and indwell his people in their spirits. So that God's presence will begin to change his people from the inside out and cause worship to happen within their spirits. Both are true. But in short, what in spirit means is basically in spirit worship is the opposite of merely external worship. What maybe we would call today going through the motions, Okay, the, the, the kind of worship that is, I go to this place at this time because that's what you do. I offer this sacrifice or I say this song or sing these words just because that's what you do. A kind of going through the motions, external worship. He's saying, no, no, the new covenant brings a new kind of worshiper. Worshipers who are, are experiencing God's worth, his worthiness in the core of who they are, who, who, who believe and experience this. They're not just walking through the motions. Now, there will be external things to this spirit worship, right? There, there may be a raising of hands. There may be a, a singing of, of the voice. There may be all sorts of places and things we do, but at essence, it is a heart-resonating, spirit-resonating experience for the people of God in spirit. And then secondly, the true worshipers will worship in truth. To say that it is spiritual, that it is an internal thing, doesn't mean that it's just a subjective experience. It's not a worship according to, to my own opinions about God, my own feelings about God, me projecting an image of what I want God to be like and worshiping that image. No, it is in line with the truth of who God is, of who he's revealed himself to be by sending his son, by sending his spirit, by giving us his word. So that we're experiencing internally something that is in line with what is actually out there? Who God is. Last week, we talked a lot about contemplating the truth of who God, the God of the Bible is, this creator of all things, this savior, the creator coming in, becoming the lamb, dying for his people. We worship in line with the truth of who God is. That, Jesus says, those are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Those who worship in spirit those who worship in truth. That temple conversation is obsolete. There's a new way to worship in spirit and in truth, wherever you are, whoever you are. Jew, Samaritan, doesn't matter. Jerusalem, Gerizim, doesn't matter. In spirit and in truth, that's what I come to bring. Those are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Make sense? Okay, familiar territory, I think, for some of us. So here's what I want to do. Having kind of, I know I've just, you know, scratched the surface of this passage, but I want to spend some time drawing from the two passages we've looked at in the last two weeks and and pulling out some practical implications. Okay, so what does it look like in light of what Scripture says about what worship is and what God desires? What does it look like for me to walk in these doors between nine and ten, fifteen, ten thirty ish? What is it? How do I engage this time in a way that resonates with what scripture's inviting me into. All right? So I want to offer two, I think, important perspective shifts that we need to have about Sunday worship. And then I have like seven practical tips, okay? 
Dave's top seven tips for how to, how to engage this time. I'm going to try to get real practical. This is not going to be as inspirational as last week, but I think it'll hopefully be helpful. All right, so two perspective shifts that I think at least some of us need to make. And the first one is the one I, I really want to stress. So if all you hear today, this is what I want you to hear. Uh, look at verse 23 again. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And here's the part I want to focus on. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Uh, there's an assumption in there that is so basic that I think we miss it when we read this passage. And here's the basic assumption. The Father is seeking worshipers. Now, he's, there's a specific kind of worshiper he's thinking he's seeking. But at baseline, just foundationally, the Father is seeking worshipers. So the perspective shift is to step into this room, step into this time knowing God right now is seeking worshipers. God is desiring worshipers in this place. And I say that's a shift because I think most of the time we walk into this room thinking about what we're seeking in this time and place, right? Well, I'm here, I'm seeking hopefully a good message, something that encourages me. I'm seeking some songs that are in a style that I like. I'm, you know, I'm seeking to connect with my friends. I'm seeking for my kids to have a positive experience. These are all really good things to seek, but the shift is this, is to come in here realizing what I'm seeking is actually not the most important thing right now. What God is seeking is far more important, and what he's seeking is worshipers. That's what he wants in this time. This service exists for him. He brings us together. He calls us and and brings us together and says, come and worship me. I'm seeking worshipers. Last week, we looked at Revelation 4 and 5, right? What is at the center of that worship scene? God, right? The throne and God and Jesus the Lamb are sitting on the throne. They're actually physically in the center, literally in the center of the scene. And then around them are the four living creatures. Around them are the 24 elders. Around them are all the countless angels and other creatures in creation, physically in the center and theologically in the center. Everything, everyone finds their place around the throne. And all the singing goes like this to the one on the throne. You are worthy, right? To you be honor and glory and praise. This is all about you, And when we step into this room, we find our place around the throne. We join in that service that is already in progress, and we focus on God and what it is that he desires. We sing to him. There's an analogy that I've used a lot that some of you have heard before, but it's this. You all and we all in this room, we are the choir in this worship service, okay? You are the choir. You are the singers. God is the audience of this service. And that's a big shift because most times when you walk into a room and you've got a bunch of seats all faced one direction, they happen to be standing at a stage, you're used to being in that moment an audience, right? You're so used to, we're an audience, you're at a play, you're at a movie, you're at a performance, you're an audience and there's a stage and whoever's on stage is doing the work and you are the audience. And that is not how Sunday mornings work, okay? You're not the audience, God is the audience. We're not singing for you, (laughs) We're singing for him. 
right? This is all about him. And he's seeking worshipers. The people up here are kind of like the choir directors. They're giving you your cues. They're telling you what you need to know so that you can sing to the audience who is God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, that's a pretty big, I think, shift. Because when we come in here thinking as an audience, that taps into all of our, our kind of cultural consumeristic tendencies, right? Where we're used to being consumers and getting things. And you think on Sunday, now I come to consume a spiritual product. And it's really easy to get disappointed with the product you're consuming, right? And there's other, there's churches right down the road. If this product isn't good enough, you know, you can go somewhere else. But when you start thinking like a consumer, like an audience, you, you walk away, ah, that sermon was, you know, it was good, but you know, 10 minutes too long, right? Let's be honest. Uh, those worship songs were like a hundred years too old. Um, you know, that testimony was awkward. That, you know, whatever. You start thinking as a consumer and you get disappointed with the things uh, that aren't quite right. The shift is this. This time is not about our consumeristic desires. God is not seeking consumers in this time. God is seeking worshipers. <laughs> That's what he wants. This time is for him. It's not for us. I am ultimately here to worship him. And the, the, the posture we want to have is to walk into those doors and be able to say to the leadership of this, of this church, you're going to have to work really hard to try to get me not to worship. Okay, because I'm here to worship. So you're going to have to like, you're going to have to screw up everything to really keep me from why I'm here. I mean, the worship's going to have to be bad. The sermon's going to have to be bad. Everything's going to have to be bad because I'm here to worship and you're, you're going to have to make it really hard for me not to worship. All right? It's a shift. It's a perspective change. And here's the, this is the beautiful thing <laughs> and kind of the ironically beautiful thing. When we actually take the focus off ourselves and say, God, this, is, this time is for you, the beautiful thing is we get blessed a hundred times more because what happens is our lives actually get centered around the thing that they need to be centered around, which is God. And he pours out his encouragement to us and he speaks his truth to us. And so the irony is when I stop thinking about what I want and say, God, this time is about you, I actually get way more back in return. And it's the way it's supposed to be with God at the center and all of us around the throne. All right, so that's the first perspective shift. God seeking worshipers. This time is for him. It is not first and foremost for us. And then the second one is kind of just me talking here. It's not, I, I can't draw out a, something in the passage. But I want to encourage you to shift your perspective in terms of our service, to begin to see this, this whole time that we have together as a time of worship, okay? As a comprehensive whole. This isn't a lot of different things. It is essentially from, again, 9 to 10, 15-ish. It is one thing. It is God's people coming together to encounter God and to worship him in spirit and truth. It's one comprehensive time to do that. Okay, and I think sometimes we think of this time just in terms of its parts. I walk in, I know first there's going to be some songs. Uh, then I know there's going to be some announcements. I know there's going to be a sermon. There might be a testimony. There might be communion. There might be some more songs. We think of it in terms of its parts. I would like to shift our perspective. No, no, this is all one thing. It is a time to encounter God together and to worship him. Now, there's a variety of ways we encounter him, right? We encounter him through singing. We encounter him through the reading of his word, through the teaching of his word, through hearing testimonies of people up front sharing what God is doing in their lives, what's, what God is doing in the community, through taking communion, communion. There's a variety of postures we take in our worship of God. Sometimes we're singing a song that talks about how great he is, and we're in this place of praise, right, and adoration. Sometimes 
we're led through a time of recognizing our sin and our, our brokenness. We go through a time of confession. Sometimes we're in a place of gratitude for what God's doing. Sometimes we come together and pray for needs that we have. So there's all sorts of different postures in different ways we do this, but it's all part of one thing, which is to encounter God and to worship him in spirit and in truth and to do that together. You see those, those shifts? I think if all we did was made those shifts, I feel like this place would be awesome. And it already is awesome. But I think it'd be awesomer <laughs> if, if we did that. It's not in the notes, awesomer. All right. So with, with those perspectives, now I want to give you, these are my seven, <laughs> top seven tips for Sunday worship. Okay? <laughs> Just practical things I would encourage you to think about. And I'm going to go for the jugular right at the beginning. Yeah. So here's what you got to think about here. Okay. Here's what you got to think about. You are not the audience here. You're the choir, right? So it's one thing to be late to a play that you've come to watch. It's another thing to be late to a play that you're in. Okay. You feel the perspective shift? You are the choir. Don't be late to your own show. Okay? You know, be three minutes early if that's what you need to do. Um, <laughs> right? I mean, it kind of needs to be said. It's kind of simple, but it kind of needs to be said. Um, you know, we live in a culture... I get, you know, we're in Southern California. If I didn't have to work here, I'd probably be late too. So I'm acknowledging this is, this is hard. We live in a culture where we go to social events all the time where it is acceptable and even expected to be 10, 15, 30 minutes late. Okay, this is not one of those kinds of events. It's, it simply isn't. That's not even supposed to be funny. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not one of those events. There's nothing that we do that is more important than this time. This 90 minutes, there's nothing, I'm not saying this is sacred and everything else isn't, I'm not, but is there anything more important than gathering as God's people and worshiping him in spirit and truth? There's nothing that I can think of that's more important. Uh, so let's be on time. Also, if you're always late, my guess is you think of this in terms of its parts, not the whole. And what, it, there's an underlying assumption that, that there are certain parts that are more important to be present at than other parts, right? Like there's some sort of warm up to something that's the meat, whatever that might be for you. As long as I get there by this time, I feel like I made the service, okay? So I want to encourage you, no, no, this is a whole. It starts at the beginning and you're the choir. Don't miss your own show. All right. Second one is uh, like unto the first, as Jesus would say, uh, stay late, okay? Um, linger, Afterwards, don't schedule something that is 10 minutes after the service is supposed to end. I recognize you don't always have control over your Sunday schedule, but in as much as you do, don't schedule things. Don't, don't put yourself in a, in a situation where if the service is running 10 minutes long, you're starting to get anxious. You're starting to look at your clock. You don't want to be in that place. Plus, stick around, talk to people, um, hang out, you know, share with one another what's going on. All right. Those are the hardest ones, I think, and the easiest. Uh, next one, <laughs> pay attention to what I'm calling the prompts. Okay. So like I said, up front, you might have me, you had Christina, you had Scott, you have the choir directors and we're prompting you. We're, we're telling you to do certain things and pay attention to those things. So you walked in here at the beginning 
if you got here on time. And uh, Scott said some things. Now, he's thought about what he wants to say. And what he's trying to help you do at the front end of the service is turn you into the kind of worshipers that the Father is seeking. He's trying to help you, actually, engage with God so that you might be the kind of worshiper the Father is seeking. So when you come in, uh, is his voice or any other voice, is that, you know, the Charlie Brown? Right, right. You're kind of looking around. You're looking at people. The, the service hasn't really started yet, so I'm doing this. No, no. He's saying something. <laughs> what is he saying? <laughs> are you listening to what he's saying? And are you engaging in what he's encouraging you to do? Because I don't know about you, but I w- walk into this room, and my heart is not all ready for worship. I need someone to help me engage God. I need to hear scripture. I need to have a moment of silence where I'm inviting God into something. No comments. No comments. Um, uh, Pay attention to that. I know this feels really like basic, but these are important things, okay? You come in. Don't be looking around. You know, get present. Listen. Uh, Christine's up here. She's praying. Mark is up here. He's he's leading in prayer. What is he praying about? (laughs) Where is your mind in that? I get it. We get distracted. But try to engage. Try to pay attention to the prompts. Again, the, the point is, we don't want to go through the motions. We want to worship in spirit and truth. And the prompts are there to help us not go through the motions. Uh, another way to do that, meditate on the song lyrics. Uh, we do work hard to choose songs that are, that are rich in lyrical content, that are theologically grounded, that are are worthy of us singing. And so don't just sing. Um, pay attention to the lyrics. In fact, sometimes, you know, I love that Scott will say, hey, sometimes don't sing. Sometimes what I need to do is not sing. And there's a line that hits me. And I just need to sit with that line and, and meditate on it. This morning that happened to me. We were singing that first song, Lord, I Need You. And the chorus says, uh, you're my one defense, my righteousness. And that, that lyric, I just thought, what is that saying? Of course, it's the courtroom scene, right? I'm guilty before holy God. And yet Jesus Christ, he's my defense. He steps in that place. And he's the reason that I've been acquitted and I, I go free. Well, that's a beautiful image. I, that stayed with me through the rest of that song. But pay attention to the song lyrics. Uh, engage with your whole self, right? Heart, mind, body. And there's, I think there's sort of a, there's an art to this, that each one of us has to learn how we're wired and in our own relationship with God, how to navigate this time so that we're really able to engage God. So sometimes, for instance, my heart is stirred and that might move me to have my hands stirred, right? Like this. So it starts with the heart and it moves to the hands. Um, Sometimes someone just makes me do it like we did last week which is really helpful for a guy like me because my heart doesn't always get up into the hands, you know. Um, so sometimes it starts with the heart and it moves to the hands or to the body or to the, you know, whatever it is. Sometimes my heart is so disconnected. My, my mind is so distracted that for me, it's actually helpful to lead with the body. Like nothing's going on here, God, but you know what I can do? I can do this physically, this, for me, is a posture of, of openness, of wanting to receive from you. And, and I might even, actually, because I'm not feeling it in my heart, I might say, I can't make my heart feel things, but I can open my hands in a posture of openness to you. And, and maybe that posture is the only thing I've got today 
to bring to you, but I bring it to you as an act of worship. Not as a, something that's um, insincere, but it's, it's my own way of, 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 of asking you to help me move my heart. So you, you have to figure out what works for you, but engage with your whole self. Come with your minds. Come with your emotions. Come with your bodies. Two more. This feels like late night television. Isn't it? Top. I'm supposed to work from the bottom up, wasn't I? Um, this is the third week in a row I've said this, okay? Um, and it worked out perfectly today. I didn't plan on it. Guys, bring your Bibles and take notes, okay? Uh, today, go home and put the Bible, a Bible app on your phone. So we're trying to worship God in spirit and in truth, in the truth of who he is. And when you bring your Bible, and we, we also give you uh, handouts that on the back have blank places for notes. When you're, when you're taking notes, and when you bring, you're saying to God, God, I want to learn about you. I am here to learn more about you, to be reminded of things I already know, to go deeper with things I don't know, or to learn new things. Okay, every educator will tell you that the worst form of education is to sit and listen to somebody talk. Okay, the, the stats on what we retain with that are horrible. Okay, well, if you start reading along, that increases your learning. If you start writing and taking notes on what you're experiencing and processing, that radically increases. So if you love God and you want to love him with your heart, soul, and mind, bring your Bibles and take notes and say to God, I want to know you. I want to retain. I want to remember what I'm hearing about you. It's a simple thing that can have a radical change. Okay? Last one. Risk going deeper with one another. The service ends, and we have this time, 15 to 40 minutes together before most of us, you know, go out for the day. Uh, Risk going deeper. You've just been worshiping. You've just been hearing God's truth. And then just stay in that place with one another. Man, what did you, what's God doing in you today? Um, How are you guys doing? How's your lives? Rather than just going to the, you know, how's the weekend? Um, you're going to watch the game today, you know, whatever it may be. Risk going deeper. At the, on the back of our bulletins, we always have a little question. It's a little prompt. It's like low-hanging fruit, easy question. It's open-ended to start. Like this week's question is, what is one way you hope to change how you approach Sunday mornings at Grace as a result of this conversation about worship? So there's a great, say, just, you don't even have to say, hey, what do you think of the question? Risk going a little bit deeper with one another because a lot of how God, you know, speaks to us in this time is through one another by encouraging one another. So those are my top seven. Make sense? Yeah? Okay. I won't ask. I won't have a a raise of Bibles next week. Maybe. We'll see. No. I think those are just helpful. They're kind of, they're kind of obvious, right? But sometimes it's the obvious ones that we need to be reminded of. And it's it's such a cliche, but you, you, you really do get into you know, get out of it what you put into it. I mean, you, if you bring yourself and engage, God, God shows up. And sometimes he shows up even in we, when we don't bring our full selves. He doesn't need us to do that. But it really matters. The last thing we want to do as a church is to come here and just do church. Just go through the motions. What we want is we want to be the kind of worshipers the Father is seeking. Who worship him in spirit and in truth. And who do that together week in and week out. What a great blessing to be able to do that. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to celebrate communion together.
Well, Father, we want to give you thanks for something that for many of us we take for granted. That you sent your son. That you came in the person of your son to live and then to die, to be that sacrifice for our sins. And you sent your spirit to work in our hearts and minds and lives to transform us and that we get to be worshipers and that you want us to be worshipers and you are turning us into the kind of worshipers you want us to be. What a beautiful thing. It's your work, it's not ours. And so that's our prayer. Would you continue to transform us, change us into the kind of worshipers that you're seeking, that we might fix our hearts and minds more fully on you and that we might be blessed by you as we do that, that you would pour out your encouragement and your truth and your comfort, your conviction, all the things you bring to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to invite Dana O'Neill to come on up, and she's going to help us think through communion a little bit, share her own kind of experience and thoughts on communion.